And welcome back to the Word Encounter, episode 98. Uh, yesterday we concluded in Psalms uh, chapter 49, so let's continue on in Psalms chapter 50. And so the title for it says, God is Judge, uh, the contrast between uh, true and false faith. God desires sincere thanks, trust, and praise. Let's drop down to verse 3 here. It says, Our God is coming. He will not be silent. Devouring fire uh, precedes him, and a storm rages around him. On high he summons heaven and earth in order to judge his people. Gather my faithful ones to me, those who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, for God is the judge. Yes, Lord. Let's drop down to verse 14. It says, Offer a thanksgiving sacrifice to God, and pay your vows to the Most High. Call on me in a day of trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will honor me. Verse 16, But God says to the wicked, What right do you have to recite my statutes and to take my covenant on your lips? And so God is saying, Look, for those of you who are just giving me lip service, who have no intentions of following me, what are you doing? What right do you have to do that? You hate instruction and fling my words behind you. When you see a thief, you make, a, you make friends with him and you associate with adulterers. You unleash your mouth for evil and harness your tongue for deceit. You sit uh, maligning your brother, slandering your mother's son. You have done these things and I kept silent. You thought I was just like you, but I will rebuke you and lay out the case before you. Understand this, you who forget God, or I will tear you apart and there will be no one to rescue you. Whoever offers a thanksgiving sacrifice to me and whoever orders his conduct, I will show him the salvation of God. This is a warning to unbelievers, you know, or, or people or people that aren't really sincere in following the Lord. You know, he's, he's saying he's going to tear you apart, you know, because you're essentially using him. You're not sincere in your faith. So let's go on to Psalm 51. Uh, the title says, Prayer for Restoration, David's Plea for Mercy, Forgiveness, and Cleansing. God wants our hearts to be right with him. And it says, uh, it says the Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him uh, after he had gone to Bathsheba. So after David was caught cheating, basically, and killing her husband. Verse 1. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. <laughs> so, you know, David's rebellion, if you recall the story, you know, Uriah was um, um, Bathsheba's husband, and David sent him to the front lines in order to be killed so that he could take his woman. I mean, that's what it boiled down to. And uh, he had found out that she was pregnant um, while, uh, while uh, his servant was off fighting a war, her husband was off fighting a war. And so he brought him back to try and get him to sleep with her so that she could claim that it was his baby. But he wouldn't do it because he said that he was honorable. He said, I can't sleep with my wife. I can't essentially uh, enjoy life while my men are fighting out there and dying. And so he was way more honorable than David in this time period. And so David is saying, uh, uh, you know, blot out my rebellion, Lord, please. Verse two, completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 3, for I am conscious uh, of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. And so David is being honest. Now, one of the things they you know, no man is perfect. David wasn't perfect. 
But when it came to his attention that he was wrong, he immediately turned towards the Lord. He didn't run away. In verse 5, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. So David is recognizing that man, because of Adam's fall, man is born with the sin nature. So whenever you tell, you know, somebody not to do something, they want to do it. If you say, don't go there, they want to go there. If they say, well, don't buy that, they want to buy that. You know, if you say, well, don't do this, they want to do that. You know, man's sin nature is what he's born with because of the fall. And so he's saying, you know, I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Now, when my mother conceived me, so this was before he was born. Now, this is an interesting statement because he's recognizing that he was a person when he was conceived. Now, today we're living in a time when a lot of people want to deny that. And they want to deny it because they don't want it to be, they don't want abortion to be considered murder. And so how can it be an abortion? How can it be murder if what's being aborted isn't a person. And so the supporters do everything they can to dehumify, dehumify, dehumanify, you know, <laughs> if there's such a word, uh, to, to remove the humanity from the baby that's in the womb so that it can't be murdered because it's not a person. And so um, let's go on to verse six. It says, surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. And so David is, is recognizing that God is the one that is teaching and training him deep within, not a surface thing, but something deep within. Verse 10, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. This is an interesting statement because remember, after Jesus' death on the cross, well, you might not know, I shouldn't say remember, but after Jesus' death on the cross, uh, before he ascended into the heavens, uh, he promised to send the blessed Holy Spirit that would indwell within each believer. And so this is way before uh, <clears throat> Jesus' time. And so obviously this Holy Spirit is not the third person of the Godhead. So you have God the Father, <clears throat> God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so this is not referring to God the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, uh, the, the third head, if you will, of the Godhead. This is re referring to God's Spirit, you know, the Spirit of God, as opposed to the person of the Holy Spirit. We'll get into that later when we get into the New Testament. And so he says, do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Verse 16, you do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased uh, with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. And so God doesn't want our sacrifices. God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our possessions. We can't buy our salvation. That's not what God is interested in. When we give those things in the form of a tithe and an offering, it's really an indication of the condition of our heart and whether or not we recognize that we truly and actually own nothing. And so if we don't own anything, then we can't feel any certain way, any kind of way when we give it away. But if it becomes difficult for us, that means that we think we own stuff and we don't. And so <clears throat> the word is saying here, or David is saying here that, you know, this is not what you want. What you want is a broken spirit. What you want is man to come before you recognizing that he's in need of assistance, that he's in need of guidance, that he's in need of a father, that he is in fact in need of salvation offered by God and God alone.
Psalms chapter 52. The heading says, uh, God, judge the proud. Uh, God will judge the evildoer. Our anger must not block our confidence in God's ability to defeat evil. Ooh, this is a big one. Verse 1 says, why boast about evil, you hero? <laughs> Verse 3, you love evil instead of good, lying instead of speaking truthfully. You love any words that destroy you, treacherous tongue. Verse 5, this is why God will bring you down forever. He will take you, ripping you out of your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see in fear, and they will uh, derisively say about that hero, here is the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, taking refuge in his destructive behavior. I mean, that is, that is very clear. <laughs> There's nothing ambiguous about that. Here's a man who would, not who would not make God his refuge. Didn't say he could not, he would not. He has decided not to. Why? Because he trusted in the abundance of his riches taking refuge in his destructive behavior. You know, I, I, I could add to that maybe um, not recognizing that he's taken refuge in his destructive behavior because he's thinking that that is where his salvation is, but it is not. Verse 8, but I am like a flourishing olive tree in the house of God. I trust in God's faithful love forever and ever. And so, <laughs> so we see that, um, you know, the proud... The, the proud is interesting because a lot of times we can exhibit pride and not really know it because we're what we're doing is we're subconsciously making decisions and doing things based on what we believe is our own power and our own strength, our own intelligence, you know, our own whatever. Everything we're attributing to what we're about to do is based on our own ability, therefore leaving no room for God with regard to how he watches over us to see us through um, uh, for our success, uh, for our successes, and this, that, and the other, and therefore we can never um, give him thanks because we don't recognize it, and so this is a part of the evil doings, and it may not see it seem like it, but what you're doing is denying God, and so we can't have that. Uh, Psalms 53 says, "A portrait, a portrait of sinners, all have sinned. Because of sin, no person can find God on his or her own. Only God can save us." We can't, there's no such thing as self-salvation. Self that doesn't exist. You know, we can't save ourselves. We can't save anybody else in the eternal sense. We can't do that. Verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and they do vile deeds. There is no one who does good. Verse 4, well, evildoers never understand. They consume my people as they consume bread. They do not call on God. Then they will be filled with dread, dread like no other, because God will scatter, scatter the bones of those who besiege you. Uh, you, will, you will put them to shame, for God has rejected them. And so, <clears throat> verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, a lot of people are going to get offended by that. You know, I happen to believe that is absolutely true. The fool says that there is no God. The fool attributes everything to man, to science, to happenstance, to 
cataclysmic accidents or whatever, you know. And so the fool says that there is no God. And one of the reasons that the fool says this is that the fool does not want to be held accountable for his actions. See, if there is no God, then there can be no manuscript for life. And therefore, I can do whatever I want to do. I get to do whatever I want to do. I don't have to atone for anything. I don't have to account uh, for my behavior to anybody. I am, in fact, my own God. I can do what I want. And so the fool thinks like this because the fool doesn't want to be accountable before a holy God. And so he goes about or she goes about doing her business with this in mind, not realizing that one day there's going to have to be an accounting for that behavior. In chapter 54, the title says, Prayer for Deliverance, a call for God to overcome enemies. God is our helper even in times of hurt and betrayal. In verse 1, God, save me by your name. Uh, Wait, let me go back up here. Uh, So David wrote this, uh, and uh, this is when uh, some people were questioning whether to Saul whether David was hiding amongst us. And it says in verse 1, God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. God, hear my prayer. Listen to the words from my mouth. For strangers rise up against me and violent men intend to kill me. They do not let God guide them. God is my helper. The Lord is uh, the sustainer of my life. He will repay my adversaries for their evil. Because of your faithlessness or faithfulness, annihilate them. So this is what David is saying. Because of your faithfulness, God, annihilate them. Get rid of them (laughs) because they're out to get me. How many times do we want to express that exact same thing? In Psalm 55, the title of it says, a betrayal by a friend expressing deep dismay over the treachery of a close friend. When friends hurt us, the burden is too difficult to carry alone. Amen. So here we have in verse one, God, listen to my prayer. Again, this is written by David. God, listen to my prayer and do not hide uh, from my, listen to my prayer and do not hide from my plea for help. Pay attention to me and answer me. I am relentless. I am restless and in turmoil with my complaint because of the enemy's words, because of the pressure of the wicked, for they bring down disaster on me and harass me in anger. Verse 12. Now it is not now it is not an enemy who insults me. So David is clarifying here. Otherwise, I could bear it. So if it was somebody I didn't like or some identified enemy that I knew of, I could bear what they were saying. I could bear what they were doing. But David is saying, but it is not an enemy who insults me. Otherwise, I could bear it. It is a foe who rises up against me. Otherwise, I could hide from him. Verse 13, but it is you, a man who is my peer, my companion and good friend. We used to have close fellowship. We walked uh, walked with the crowd into the house of God. In other words, he's like, look, this is one of my boys. We used to walk into the sanctuary, walk into the temple together, into the house of God. It says in verse 20, my friend acts violently against those at peace with him. He violates his covenant. He's violating our friendship, our covenant friendship, because he's like stabbing me in the back. He's betraying me. In verse 21, his buttery words are smooth, but war is in his heart. His words are softer than oil, but they are, draw- they are drawn swords. 
And so <laughs> David is saying, look, this is my partner and he's stabbing me in the back. But in my face, he's appearing as though everything is cool. Everything is good. In verse 23, God, you will bring them down uh, to the pit of, of destruction. Men of bloodshed and treachery will not live out their days, but I will trust in you. And so David is essentially saying, look, I'm not going to do anything about this, but Lord, I know you. I know you can see this. I know you can do something about it, so I'm just going to have trust in you. In chapter 56, the title says, A Call for God's Protection. Trusting in God's care in the midst of fear. When all seems dark, one, tr one truth still shines bright. When God is for us, those against us will never succeed. And so uh, this is when uh, the Philistines uh, seize David in Gath. And so he's crying out to the Lord. Verse 1, be gracious to me, God, for a man is trampling me. He fights and oppresses me all day long. My adversaries trample me all day, for many arrogantly uh, fight against me. When I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God, whose words I praise. In God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? They twist my words all day long. All their thoughts against me are evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps while they wait to take my life. Will they escape in uh, spite of such sin? God, bring down the nations in wrath. <laughs> bring down the nations in wrath. You know, bring down the nations with extreme violence, God. Verse 10, in God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mere humans do to me? You know, so David is like, I'm, look, I'm surrounded by my enemies, but I trust in you, God. What can these guys do to me when you're on my side? You know, and we can say those things a lot of times, but is it in us? Do we really believe it? And in Psalms 57, let's go with the title here. Praise for God's protection, God's faithful help and love in times of trouble. Uh, when we face trials, God will quiet our hearts and give us confidence. And so we see, let's go to verse 2. I call to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He reaches down from heaven and saves me, challenging the one who tramples me. God sends his faithful love and truth. Verse 5, God be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. They prepare a net for my steps. I was despondent. They dug a pit ahead of me, but they fell into it. It's like they dug their own grave. Verse 9, I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your faithful love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches the clouds. God, be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. Yes, Lord. Psalms 58, title says, A cry against injustice, a prayer for God's justice. When no justice can be found, rejoice in knowing that justice will triumph because there is a God who will judge with complete fairness. Not partial fairness, but complete fairness. In verse 1, Again, this is written by David. Do you really speak righteously, you mighty ones? Do you judge people fairly? No, you practice injustice in your hearts. With your hands you weigh out violence in the land. Verse 10. The righteous one will, rejo will rejoice when he sees the retribution. He will wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. Then the people will say, yes, 
There is a reward for the righteous. There is a God who judges on earth. And so a lot of times we're waiting. We see something wrong. We're, we want something be, uh, to be done about it. Uh, we don't see man doing anything about it. But the word says trust in the Lord. He's sitting on high. He witnesses. He sees everything. You know, vengeance be his. He'll take care of it in his time. In Psalm 59, we see God, no, excuse me, God, our stronghold, prayer and praise for God's saving help. God's constant love is our place of safety in a wicked world. And it's, uh, it says, when Saul sent agents to watch the house, uh, to watch David's house and kill him. So this is David crying out again. Number one, or excuse me, number one, verse one. Rescue me from my enemies, my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Rescue me from evildoers and save me from men of bloodshed. Verse 7. Look, they spew from their mouths sharp words from their lips. For who, they say, will hear. So they're kind of mocking them. You know, they're saying whatever they want to say because they say, who's going to hear? We can say whatever we want to say. They're disrespecting God. Verse 8, but you laugh at them, Lord. You ridicule all the nations. I will keep watch for you, my strength, because God is my stronghold. My faithful God will come to meet me. God will um, let me look down on my adversaries. Let's drop down to verse 16. It says, but I will sing of your strength and will joyfully pro proclaim your faithful love in the morning. For you have been a stronghold for me, a refuge in my day of trouble. To you, my strength, I sing praises because God is my stronghold, my faithful God. And lastly, in verse 60, um, let's uh, read the title here. Prayer in difficult times. Real help comes from God alone. When a situation seems out of control, we can trust God to do mighty things. <clears throat> and this is when David uh, was, fought, was fighting Aram. And um, so he, he had enemies all around him. And so as he's fighting battles against uh, his enemies, he says in verse one, God, you have rejected us. You have broken us down. You have been angry. Restore us. You have shaken the land and split it open. Heal its fissures uh, for its shutters. You have made your people suffer hardship. You have given us wine to drink that made us stagger. In verse five, save with your right hand and answer me so that those you love may be rescued. So he's fighting. He's in battle. He's crying out to the Lord. He says, it seems like, you know, you're not responding. We're getting our butts kicked. What's going on? Verse 5, uh, save with your right hand. Oh, I already said it. Save with your right hand and answer me, so that those uh, you love may be rescued. Verse 6, God has spoken in his sanctuary. I will celebrate. I will divide up Shechem. I will apportion uh, the valley of uh, Sukkoth. And so what David is doing now is David is making a, procl a proclamation. So he's, he's, in, he's in this battle, he's fighting, but he's going to proclaim. And he says, I will celebrate, and I will divide up the lands. In verse 7, Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, and Ephraim is, is my helmet, Judah is my scepter. Again, David is making these, these war, uh, these, these victory proclamations. In verse 8 it says, Moab is my wash uh, basin. So this is one of their enemies. I throw my sandal on Edom. Again, this is one of their enemies. I shout and triumph over Philistia. Again, one of their enemies. And so he's making these declarations and proclamations in the face of battle because he has faith and confidence that his God is going to answer him. So he's, a, he's, a, he's essentially prophesying victory. 
over the battles that he's in to give him strength, honor, and courage. Hallelujah. And with that, we're going to conclude for the day. We're going to pick it up tomorrow in chapter 61. Everybody have a blessed day. Bye-bye.